0: Hey lovely listeners, what a pleasure to have you with us today on the Main Street Vegan Show. You know, I think there is a timing department in heaven, and there are some angels who are just scheduling everything so it all happens right because this happens to be a week when we've all had some very upsetting news, the terrorist attack in Paris and I I find it just fascinating that the two women who will be my guests today are planetary healers. After the break, we're going to be talking with Ray Sakura of Plant Peace Daily, who's just the sweetest woman. I mean, she makes being an activist somebody that everybody loves. (laughs) It's really, really cool. One of those people who walks in a room and you just smile and you don't know what just happened. And right now, I'm going to uh, be introducing you to someone who needs no introduction, who is just so beautiful inside and out, who is just healing this world every day, every book, her fabulous birthday, changing film from some years back. And that is none other than Chris Carr. We're going to be talking about her brand new book, Crazy Sexy Juice, 100 Simple Juice Smoothie and Nut Milk Recipes to Supercharge Your Health, plus an energizing Three, did I say energizing? Energizing. Well, you could be energizing, too. Three-day cleanse. Now, in case you are listening in from Saturn and don't know Chris, I'll give uh, you a little bit of intro. Chris Carr is a multi-week New York Times best-selling author and health advocate. Her books and film include the groundbreaking Crazy Sexy Cancer series, Crazy Sexy Diet, and Crazy Sexy Kitchen. Chris regularly lectures at medical schools, hospitals, wellness centers, corporations such as Whole Foods and Harvard University. She's been all over TV. You just can't miss her on Today, Good Morning America, CBS Evening News, Oprah Winfrey Show. And she just inspires the heck out of people. And I loved what it said back in the intro in her book. You know, we talk a lot about... What should we call this way that we eat? And she calls it a plant-passionate diet. Ah, well, I'm a Chris Carr-passionate person. Hey there, Chris. Welcome to the show.
1: What an introduction. It is so great to be here. And I miss you, so I get to spend time with you, which is just so exciting for me.
0: Well, I'm happy, too. I I know (laughs) that you're up there a little bit ways up in Woodstock, and I just... um, I would love to just have tea with you sometime, but right now we're having talk, so that's, that's right. good too. <laughs> so, why a juice book? What inspired this new one?
1: You know, it's the book that everybody in my community, my readers, my Facebook friends have been asking for for a long time, and uh, it's one of the big questions that I get asked when I'm out on the road lecturing what's the difference between a juice and a smoothie? How do I incorporate it into my life? What should I do? I'm a huge fan of drinking our vegetables, eating our vegetables too, but drinking our vegetables as well. And in truth, every time I'm writing a book, and I know you feel this way too, you've written so many, you're always looking for new ideas and new ways that you can make it easy for people to enjoy eating plants. Um, And so I think it's, it's simpler than some of my previous stuff you certainly don't need to know how to blanch or braise or saute you don't need fancy kitchen equipment you just need a juicer or a blender or both if you know if um, finances allow and you can start to whip up those easy juices smoothies and net milks and I think that you will definitely see an improvement in your health so I again wanted to make it simple and I wanted to address that need for my community.
0: And I think for people who want to get out and do more outreach, maybe you do know how to cook, but you don't know how to do a whole big fancy food demo, you can get the library or or a church on a Sunday afternoon and do a juice and smoothie demo that people absolutely love. It's colorful, beautiful, easy. And, and works, especially if somebody gets a hold of your book and has all these fascinating new recipes. So let's answer that question that people ask you, the difference between a juice and a smoothie and the benefits of each.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, it's pretty simple. When you put the produce through a juicer, you're removing the fiber. And by doing that, you're making the juice a little easier to digest and assimilate. It's hitting your bloodstream almost immediately. You're absorbing those nutrients. In some ways, you may be getting more of them because it takes more produce to actually make that juice. Um, So there are many benefits, and I think for people who don't necessarily like the texture of smoothies, some folks just don't like it thick, (laughs) that a juice is a great option. It's certainly uh, the first thing that I adopted when I was creating more of a healing diet after I was diagnosed with cancer and I knew I had to get off the standard American diet. A daily green juice was really important to me. In fact, I did it a couple times a day. Um, So that's juicing in a nutshell. Smoothies, of course, you have the fiber, and you're putting all of the produce in your blender, and you're whipping it around, and you've got fiber and all, which is very important. Fiber, as you know, keeps the trains moving on time, really helps with your digestion. It helps to balance blood sugar spikes. There's many, many reasons why we need fiber. And the other thing about smoothies is You can use ingredients that would basically make your juicer very angry with you. (laughs) You know, you can use good fats, avocado, nut butters, all these wonderful protein powders that you can add to your smoothie, especially plant-based protein powders. And so both of them have their place in our daily diet, and they're just wonderful additions. I don't think that one is better than the other, A lot of people are pro-juice or they're pro-smoothie, and I think they're both fantastic. And the thing about the, you know, juice removing the fiber is it's my hope that for people, they're getting enough fiber. So if I suggest that they add more green juice to their diet, it's not green juice on top of the standard American diet that's devoid of fiber. It's green juice in addition to, you know, having plants on your plate a couple times a day. So. um
0: go ahead. I was going to say, I think sometimes people do that. They're on the standard American diet. They find out about juice, they start drinking the juice, and then the standard American diet is just not as attractive. Mm. Because juice makes you want to have vegetables,
1: I think. I think you're right. I think what happens is we start to clean up our palate, we reset our taste buds, and we certainly experience the energy and hopefully the sustainable energy that's coming from a healthier diet as opposed to the ups and downs that we experience on the standard American diet. And it becomes like a very healthy drug, to your point.
0: It it is indeed. Now let's find out about you because people love you and you're beautiful and you're cool. (laughs) And so how much juice do you drink? And how many smoothies do you
1: drink, and what kinds do you like? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, by the way, I just have to say I, I have a deer that's standing right outside of my window looking at me Aww. right now. So this is, this is a message for you, this sweet little precious deer. Um, so back to the juice and smoothie question. I have one or two of either one of those every day, unless I'm traveling and maybe I'm stuck. I, I really just can't find that juice bar. Um, I rely on smoothies and, and juice at home all the time, though. And I usually drink about 16 ounces in the morning. If we make extra, then instead of having my afternoon green tea, I'll probably have that smoothie or that green juice. Or if I'm coming home from the gym and I have that you know, second green juice in the refrigerator, it's just so wonderful and feels so good in my body. So it's a daily practice. And oftentimes we rotate But sometimes we get on a smoothie jag, or sometimes we get on a juice jag. This summer was probably the best year of uh, produce yield from my garden. So we were juicing a lot more just because we had a lot of produce to get through. So, you know, it varies. Yeah. Ah, and how about which kinds? Are you a green juice gal? Oh, good. Yes, I didn't answer that. For the most part, I am a green juice gal, but... Certainly, in crazy sexy juice, there's a rainbow of choices because when you're creating over a hundred recipes, you want to see some more color besides green um, but <laughs> but there tends to be some green vegetable in almost every juice that i that I make.
0: Well, you have some wonderful, wonderful recipes here. I'm just looking at some that contain beet that we know the athletes are saying beet, yay. And then you've got something here with kiwi. Is that going to be a smoothie? I don't think of kiwi juicing. Does it juice?
1: Yeah, actually, it really does. That was a surprise to me, too. I hadn't juiced kiwi prior to this book. Um, And, again, when I knew I had so many recipes to create, I thought, let's do combinations I never would have imagined. Um, It's got a beautiful tart taste. It's very citrusy, actually. And it's, it's fun. But you know, we can't always get all of these things in season, or for me, I'm challenged. I live in a small community, and I won't get kiwi for a while now. Or I think the blushing beauty recipe in my book calls for peaches. Well, this time of year in Woodstock, New York, you're not going to get peaches. So I think it's, it's important for folks to use whatever recipes that they find, whether they're my recipes, or your recipes, or recipes that don't, they're not juicing recipes, they're just dinner recipes, and be willing to create their own substitutions.
0: And one of the cool things, I think, about living in a a climate that has changes of seasons is you follow the produce through the seasons. Today I just picked up six persimmons, which are the most heavenly fruits. You can certainly blend them and make pudding. I wouldn't think they would juice. I don't know. I've never tried. But it's kind of like, okay, the peaches are gone, but the persimmons are here. (laughs) (laughs) That's so great.
1: Um, That's Compensation.
0: So, Chris, tell us about superfoods. I love the idea of something magical that does a little bit more than just the status quo.
1: (laughs) You know, it's interesting because I used to think of superfoods as like acai and spirulina and some of the other exotic powders and, and potions that I would find and, you know, try to use in my, my blends. But more so, I really do think of the entire plant kingdom as superfoods, because they really are. And so while we, we certainly have added superfoods that we can um, add to our meals and add to our juices and smoothies, um, I really do believe that when we let's say, put that broccoli stem through the juicer. Who would think to use a broccoli stem, right? You kind of think, well, I I use broccoli florets, and maybe I steam them or I saute them or, you know, I use them in a different way. And I never, for me personally, I never used the broccoli stem before. When I started to use it and taste it and see the lovely sweetness and the incredible um, just deliciousness it brought to to my juices, I was blown away. And so... While we could talk about superfoods again, hemp seeds great great source of protein and known as a superfood, I do think the entire plant kingdom is as powerful and as necessary in our plan, and we don't have to get too whooped up on superfoods.
0: Well, if you say don't get whooped up," then I won't get whooped up. <laughs> But, you know, I think you're absolutely true. Sometimes I think just because something is exotic, a goji berry seems more interesting than Mm. a blueberry because it comes from far away and costs more.
1: Very good point. Now, we know that goji berries are high in antioxidants and they have many vital nutrients and they're fantastic, but blueberries do as well. And, again, it's the entire plant kingdom. Each of these items have something different. And um, something incredibly beneficial to our health, but I'll I oh, go ahead. We see trends where you know people just get completely saturated or focused on superfoods, and they—I've seen superfood smoothies that have absolutely no prud- produce in them.
0: <laughs> That's amazing.
1: <laughs> so, bring the produce back. Have the superfoods, great, but like see it all as superfoods and balance it out. Yeah.
0: So. What about digestive issues? I know a lot of the people who who love you are young women. And young women seem to have more digestive issues than anybody else. How do you help them?
1: Well, I think, you know, we each have to take an inventory and look at, first and foremost, how we're feeling, what are our symptoms, and start to track those symptoms. And then we need to identify the culprits. You know, sometimes gluten can be a very big culprit, and when you go off of gluten for a month, but you're really religious about it, you really give your body a break from gluten, you may see those digestive issues, and including fatigue and joint pain and whatnot, vanish. So for me, it's all about being a detective. And I've certainly had digestive issues in the past myself. Smoothies have helped me tremendously, as they do most people, because of the amount of fiber but also paying attention to the things that that create congestion or inflammation in the body. Certainly many people um, can't handle dairy. So it, it really is looking at, okay, what are the things I'm relying on? If I'm relying on gluten and dairy, I'm creating glue in my gut. I'm creating glue. And we also may be in a situation where when the gut has broken down, that there is an overgrowth of bad bacteria or yeast, for example, Candida can become an issue. And then in those cases, we have to go on the Candida diet and cleanse and really rebuild our system. And so I look at it like write down the symptoms, start to write down your, you know, your diet, keep a food journal, look at the stuff that you're eating and really monitor how you're feeling, be willing to remove some of those items that are creating irritation in your system, maybe improve your digestive flora with a good probiotic. And if it's really not clear enough, it's time to work with a functional medicine practitioner and also probably do a stool sample to see if there are any parasites or, you know, really what the, the gut flora looks like. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a big approach. It's not an easy quick fix like just take magnesium and smoothies and you're good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like let's let's look under the hood and and track what's going on so we can create a solution.
0: Well, you're very wise, and you talked about the functional uh, medicine practitioners. And I have a question, Chris, and I hope I can ask it as well. I know you're <laughs> no loved doubt. by everybody, and um, I don't know all the people who have have given you a wonderful endorsements for your book, but I do know some of them who don't happen to choose in their own lives and in their own work with their patients to be vegetarian or to recommend that. So how is it that you are befriended
1: by all? (laughs) Oh, that's the best question I've ever received. (laughs) Well, you know, I am very uh, open-minded and... I've been on a huge health journey myself, and it's taken me all over the place. And I've had great victories, and I've struggled tremendously. And so I don't think that there is one magic solution to this this practice or this quest for vitality. And some of the friends that I have who are mainstream doctors who are not interested in veganism um, – Some of them are straight up, I don't care about diet even, um, which I always find hard to believe, and we tend to have very uh, spicy conversations over dinner. Others are super into vegetarianism and veganism. Some of them are hardcore paleo lovers, and I think ultimately I try to find the place where we intersect as opposed to really just look at our differences. Where do we intersect so that we can have a an uh, important conversation and hopefully bring that conf- conversations to our communities. And where we do intersect, no matter where we come from, uh, is that we should be eating more plants. And if I can just encourage people to eat more plants in whatever way is pal- palatable to them, I feel like I'm making a difference. Um, because as you know, when you do start to change your diet, I mean, you said it earlier, you crave... The good stuff. You crave what's making you feel better. And as that happens, I believe you add more goodness into your, onto your plate. You add more good, goodness into every aspect of your life. You start to make connections and those connections may or may not move you to go further. They certainly moved me to go further. And the connections that I was making was, wow, I really love the woods and this planet and that deer that's standing outside of my window. I want to make sure that the choices that I make protect the environment and the planet and that deer that's standing outside my window. It's not just a personal experience. It's a global experience. And So that's one piece. And then you might look at your dog and say, oh, I love my dog so much. My dog is fantastic. Wait a minute. That cow down the road, that cow ain't different than my dog. So it really depends how far you want to take the consciousness, because you can take it all the away, or you can just start slow and make sure you're going to eat more plants.
0: You should run for political office. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I love so much of what you said uh, about the plants, about the expanding your, your scope of, of compassion and awareness, but also about focusing on the intersectionality and the places where we agree. And it really wasn't land as we started out talking about world peace and things not looking so rosy in the world at large, but that just um, speaks to that as well, that the more we can connect and find some way to love, the better it looks like it is for everybody all around, Chris Carr, you are amazing. The book, Crazy Sexy Juice. And don't say, oh, well, I already have a juice book. No, no, no. There's a whole lot of stuff in here. There's substance. The first nearly half of this book is substance reading stuff. And then when you get to the recipes, it's juices like you would have never imagined juicing. <laughs> and then you get things like cream sickles and ginger chia supercharger and macadamia maple milk. I'm serious. You need this book, Crazy Sexy Juice. Chris Carr, love, thanks, and all good things to you. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you so much. Bye. And speaking of peace and beautiful women, we've got another one coming up. Ray Socorro, stay with us.
2: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever simply text unity radio to seven two seven two seven from your smartphone you can make a one-time or recurring donation your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world text unity radio to seven two seven two seven thank you for your support
0: Welcome back, everybody. I realized that I forgot to tell you that for our first guest, Chris Carr, her new book, Crazy Sexy Juice, does have its very own website, crazysexyjuice.com, and I will put that and everybody's websites and social media and whatnot up on on MainStreetVegan.net on the show notes page. Now, as long as I've been doing show notes a few months, I used to put them on the blog page, and that was very confusing because it interfered with the blog, which this week is so good. It's about how your veganism can help you simplify your life. It's by Carol Schneider, who is a simplicity expert and you know, so many people say, well, oh, it just seems so complicated. You have to get all that strange food and you'll be so different from everybody. But Carol Schneider really shows how it can simplify everything. So now the blog is separate and the show notes are separate and you can go to the show notes and you can find out where to find Chris and also where to find our guest coming up, Ray Socora. Ray is at Plant Peace Daily. I'll just tell you that right now, plantpeacedaily.org. She's been a spokesperson for animals, the environment, and human rights for over 30 years. She's worked internationally with participants ranging from teachers and students to prisoners and businesses and and activists. She's co-founder of the Institute for Humane Education. She holds degrees in cultural anthropology and environmental education from the University of Wisconsin. She's the co-founder and co-director of Plant Peace Daily and the co-founder of VegFund. I didn't even know that. Veg fun, where people can go to get some help for, for vegan activism. That's wonderful. Additionally, Ray was recently inducted into the North American Vegetarian Society's Hall of Fame. Oh, there's no one more deserving. And she and her husband, Jim Corcoran, have a beautiful little book called Plant Peace Daily. Everyday outreach for people who care, and that would be people who listen to this program. Welcome, Ray Sakora. Oh, it's so great to be here, Victoria. Love being well, on with you. It's wonderful to hear you, and so many people have asked to have you on because you really are one of those people who comes into someone's life, re- whether as, as a friend or, or a speaker or however you happen to show up there, and people just fall in love with you immediately. It was like I was saying to Chris about how she has all these colleagues and admirers who don't necessarily agree with um the dietary philosophy that probably all three of us would espouse, and yet there's so much love and respect that that kind of supersedes areas of disagreement. Love it.
3: Yeah. So tell us, go ahead. I just think that that's the bottom line, you know, if, if we can't be compassionate with each other and loving with all the humans, it's really hard to take it beyond that into all life.
0: I believe you have something there. So let's start with you. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. How did all this happen for you? You're a great storyteller, so
3: tell us your story. (laughs) I don't know if I'm a great storyteller. I have a few stories, though. Um, You know, I don't think that the kind of work that I've been in is something that you necessarily consciously choose as your work. It chooses you. You know, the, the work chooses you, the life chooses you, the focus chooses you, and you either respond, yes, or you don't. <laughs> you run away screaming in fear. And, you know, so years ago, you know, I, I was known as the animal person in our community where I grew up, and I was 15 years old, and I was walking into a leather shop with my best friend, I had just eaten a hot dog, and here I was known as the animal person. You know, and I'm not talking a soy dog, I'm talking like a regular hot dog. And we went into the leather shop, and there were skins hanging there, and I don't know even what made me say this to my best friend, but I said to her, don't buy anything in here, it's dead animals. And the woman behind the counter, not in a mean-spirited way, nothing, she just asked me one question that changed my life. She said, oh, do you eat meat? And my 15-year-old little brain went, meat? What does meat have to do with dead animals? (laughs) (laughs) Really, it was my first thought. And then I just sort of, my gears started going in my brain, and the light bulb went on. And I turned to the woman behind the counter. I said, no, I don't eat animals. My friend had just seen me eat the hot dog. She looked at me like, nuts. And we went out of the store, and she said, why did you lie to that woman? I said, I didn't lie. I said, I will never eat animals again, never. And that started me thinking about all of the blind spots that I might have and exploring further and further what is my impact on the planet and how do my daily choices either align with my values or not align with my values. And what that took was a whole lot of research because in those days, you know, I'm 59 now and I was, you know, 15 then, so this is years ago. And in those days, you know, I had never heard the word vegetarian. I had never heard about animal rights. I never had heard about anything like this. So I had to really start digging and researching. And that caused me to start visiting places. And every place that I visited took me another step toward choosing compassion. You know, sometimes you're, you're moving towards something. Sometimes you're moving away from something. So as I moved away from wanting to support the violence that I saw, I moved toward choosing compassion, and it became my life, and then it became my work, and uh, I'm so grateful for it. You know, I know that there are people who consider the knowledge that we have about the suffering to be a burden, and I don't consider it to be a burden. You know, I think like having our minds and our hearts and our eyes open is an honor, and speaking up for other species and the planet is an honor. And so I'm really grateful for it. You know, I certainly I have days when I think, ah, I don't want to know this, you know, because it's heartbreaking. And I have just keep learning new tools to stay strong and to be that voice, to be a strong, clear, consistent, loving voice for all life and it's really it's it's helped me grow so much on my spiritual path and on in every way in absolutely every way. Well you do a beautiful beautiful
0: job of it. You know lots of people can talk the talk and you are absolutely one who walks the walk. I'm interested in your experience at age 15 because I had one so similar. I was transferring out of biology class because I didn't want to do dissection. And as the biology teacher was signing the permission note, he said to me, do you eat meat? Just like the woman in the leather shop said to you. No mm. one had ever asked me that before. And it was this huge aha. And I said, <laughs> I do now, but I won't always. He said, you know, I believe you. And he handed me the little card and it did take me four years to, to get to be vegetarian. But how interesting. Sometimes I just think these experiences are so orchestrated and we're so
3: supposed to have them. Oh, absolutely. These are like these, if you pay attention, those kinds of opportunities are popping up all the time. And sometimes we don't notice them. And sometimes we do, and they're life-changing,
0: they are indeed. Now, I want another of Cora story, and this one is more recent, and I hope that my esoteric way of reminding you of this one will be enough. I want to know the story about the hunter that you shared in a plenary mm-hmm. talk at Vegetarian Summerfest. Does
3: it relate to a deer? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, I picked it. I have lots of hunter stories, (laughs) lots of hunter experiences, so I wasn't sure which one. So I had, in the Midwest, I had a little log cabin on a pretty large piece of property, and I planted orchards there. And what I had done was, you know, when I realized that the apple trees that I planted, all these apples that were low hanging were being eaten by the deer. They would like stand on their hind legs and eat the apples and I ended up getting an apple special apple picking ladder. It's like a tripod ladder. And I got this ladder so I figured, okay, deer, you get the ones you can reach and I get the ones I can reach with the ladder. And you get to know them as individuals, you know, the same deer would come through and sometimes with babies and you start to think of them as your community and as your friends. And one one year, uh, a guy came to the door and he knocked on the door and he was carrying a bow. He was a bow hunter. And he said, I know you have your land posted, no hunting, but I'm hoping that you'll give me permission to bow hunt on your land because we're different. Bow hunters are different. And I said... Actually, no. I said, you know, I don't have that much acreage here, and you have most of the county to hunt in, and this is a place where animals can be and feel safe. And he said, he got very angry, and he said, we've been hunting here for generations, then you bought it, and now we can't hunt here. And I said, do you want to know exactly why I don't consider bow hunting different and why I keep this as a sanctuary for animals? And he said, yes. I said, do you want a cup of tea? And he said, I guess so. And I made him a cup of tea and myself a cup of tea. I said, "We'll just sit on the front porch and I'll tell you why. And I told him about the year before when this very large buck came through. And the buck had an arrow going right under his spine. And his breathing was really labored. And he went over to the apple tree, and he ate some apples, but I could tell he was having a hard time from this arrow going through his body. And there was nothing I could do for him. Here is my dear friend who I've watched for years coming and eating the apples, and there was nothing I could do for him. And it was one of the most helpless, heartbreaking experiences for me. And and I sat on the porch drinking tea with this hunter. I don't know if he liked the tea or not, but uh, we... We just talked for a while, and I said, you know, this isn't just empty, not liking hunters, you know, just a broad brush. I'm I'm trying to brush with this situation. It's my experience. And he got it. He totally got it. He set the cup down, and he looked at me, and he said, I understand. He said, we won't hunt here. And I said, thank you, and I really appreciate that. And, you know, for me it was really just about taking time to connect with another human being because I don't think hunters are evil. I don't think this was an evil man. I think he was just doing what was his familiar, what he had done for years, probably his whole life. And he was willing to sit and hear another perspective and really hear it. And, you know, I just think this is what we get to do. We get to... Share with each other. There are probably ways he's more compassionate than I am. And we all get to sort of grow in our compassion by sharing with each other and keeping our hearts and our minds open. And we don't grow in our compassion when we close anybody off.
0: Well, I would say that he was one lucky hunter to run into Ray Sakura instead of possibly
3: someone else. (laughs) Who cares about animals? I felt like I was one lucky person to have that be the hunter who showed up on my porch. Somebody would sit and have tea with me. Well, you know, I think most of us are
0: interested in in other people and how they live and how they see things. And Mm. it's hard, I think, for us as animal activists and animal protectors to have these civilized conversations with people whom we believe do very barbaric actions mm-hmm. was um, Brian Graff from North American Vegetarian Society who once said to me, everything changes when you have societal agreement. You can sit down and talk with virtually anybody in this society about human trafficking or or about uh, child abuse or, or any of these things that we mm-hmm. as a culture have agreed are terrible things to do. But until we as a culture agree that killing animals is wrong, we may be right that it's wrong, but the conversation is still different.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it changes culturally over time. You know, there was a time you couldn't have the conversation in this country about women having equal rights you know so what we agree upon culturally changes and grows and that's what is the beautiful part is that we are planting the seeds leading to this tipping point when people are going to include all species in their circle of compassion you know our circles of compassion are growing and growing now children are included now you know women are included now you know certain lions are included if they have the right name you know <laughs> yeah. so we're you know we're we're a slow species i do a lot on animal intelligence a lot of research and a lot of workshops and talks on it and and really it's much easier to prove non-human intelligence than human intelligence and caring it's so much easier and so we're just a little slow student species learning from the world and we're going to get it But, you know, this whole idea of how do we have these conversations with people when they don't see the same value in other lives if they're not human. You know, it it gets very challenging. And, you know, what has helped me, I like to have certain tools in my pocket to use in difficult conversations. And this is an old tool now for me that has worked every time, and that is that rather than making sure that who I'm talking to understands me and everything I'm about, I work on trying to understand them and what they're about and how their choices feel. And that's been a game changer for me. It has really, I think, it's what has led to my longevity in doing animal rights work. I don't have the same burnout or despair that someone has who is going out into the world hoping everyone will understand them. Because that is a very difficult task. But if you go out into the world trying to understand others and connecting with them, that's such a doable task. You know, you ask them questions. And, you know, I've seen it just really open people's hearts up in a beautiful way because when you're asking them questions in trying to understand them, they're asking themselves the same questions. And it's really beautiful. Very difficult to do, though. I think because as
0: humans, we tend to be interested in ourselves and our points of view and getting our points across and being right (laughs) and the argument. Oh, my gosh. It takes, I think, a certain spiritual maturity to be able to do this. Do you have a spiritual practice or a spiritual life? I mean, you're obviously... spiritual person in that you live so much love. Do you meditate or any of
3: that stuff? I do. I do Vipassana meditation. Uh, I also do yoga. You know, one of my best meditations is hiking in the mountains with the dogs. Just silent hikes in the mountains is fabulous. You know, and I've worked with some amazing teachers uh, who I'm so grateful for. I don't know if you know the work of Byron Katie. Oh, yes. Um, Yeah, she's fabulous. And I stumbled upon her accidentally many years ago. And someone who was working with her said, I want you to go to the Byron Katie School. And I said, no way, it's $4,000. And this person said, no, I want to pay for it. Ah. And I was like, why? And she said, I just have this feeling you're supposed to go there and work with her. And I said, wow, okay. And That was the first school, and then after that I volunteered as staff at quite a few schools with her, and she wrote the book Loving What Is, and she has a very simple practice that anyone can do, and it's free worksheets online, it's just called The Work, and it's just four simple questions you ask yourself about any situation, and it really cracks you wide open to your, sort of. we have this egocentric way of looking at the world and how we want it, and... That way of looking at the world can cause us a lot of stress and and really make us very tired, angry, frustrated people in the world, which is not actually you know, tired, frustrated, angry people are not the ones that we look at and go, Oh, whatever you're doing, I want to do it. I want to be in your society. You know, no way. You know, we we wanna be part of a loving, happy, alive community and you know, so I really look at this work as the way that we can do the work. Instead of fighting, we get to invite. We get to invite people to an amazing possibility a loving, co created society that is based in compassion. And we get to do that. We get to invite them. We don't have to even fight. And it's fabulous. And I've, I've had another teacher who has helped me a lot. And um, his name is Mickey Singer. And he wrote The Untethered Soul. And I have had the wonderful privilege of sitting and listening to his talks outside of Gainesville, Florida. Uh, We were there volunteering at a monkey sanctuary called Jungle Friends. I've been there. Oh, I had the most amazing experience there. It's magical. Ah. It is magical. And you fall in love a hundred times with the monkeys, of course. And very near there is the Temple of the Universe. Odd name, wonderful place. And... Mickey Singer does the these talks after the yoga, and those talks always bring me right back down to just what's right in front of me. No more craving or aversion. I wish things were like this. I wish they weren't like this. They just are what they are. So how do I bring my love and my beauty into that? And, you know, of course, working with the monkeys and going to that. Oh. What's your experience with the monkeys? Because we spent two winters there, volunteers. Oh, they love it.
0: I went there as a journalist, and it's not really an open to the public kind of, of sanctuary. You need to mm-hmm. have a, a, a reason to go. So I, I was being given a tour around, and we were at one area where, you know, they have the um, um, American, you know, primates. They're, they're not big gorillas or chimps or anything, mm-hmm. they're smaller. And we were at one enclosure, and this monkey and I just, locked eyes. He was a, a spider monkey and I knew there was some kind of communication and connection and he put his little hand through the bars. and I, I bet so it was booty. Was it Well, Udi? it may well have been and I wanted to, to touch and I said to, to the woman there, can I touch his hand? And she said, well, they're very, very strong and even though he doesn't look that big, he could literally pull you into the cage. But then she said, I could turn around. <laughs> and so oh, she turned I love- around. I don't know if I should be telling this. I'm sorry, gentle friends. We love you. I touched his hand and he mm. took hold of two of my fingers and gently, just as gently as could be, he held my hand. We looked into one another's eyes, and I understood that painting the Michelangelo of... God and Adam absolutely stands out. <laughs> I mean, but the monkey was really channeling God. I mean, it mm-hmm. was one of the most amazing experiences of my life and I think sometimes even just with my dog. It's like how fortunate I am to get to be in contact with this other nation. Yes. But with that non-human primate, you know, someone
3: who's so like us and yet so different, mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. stunning. Oh, they are amazing. You know, really, I fell in love so much there, and I had these experiences. I was doing a lot of things, building buildings, working in the clinic, doing everything there. And and when I was working in the clinic, I worked at this beautiful monkey who is sick a lot of them get sick especially if they're ex-lab monkeys their organs get really taxed through the experiments and this beautiful monkey who was in the clinic named tyler he and i were just totally connected and i was sleeping in there at night with him and really keeping an eye on him and he started to feel better and you know how when you start to feel better you're like oh my god i want to wash the sheets i want to clean this place up and he was starting to feel better. And I was cleaning the counter around his cage, and he stole the rag. <gasps> and he took this rag, and he, was, he scrubbed his whole teddy bear, the eyes, the ears, everything. He scrubbed the whole thing. And then he put the clean teddy bear in the corner, and he started scrubbing the other parts of the cage. Then he held the rag out, and I went to go take it, and he wouldn't let me take it. And I said, oh, you want more warm, warm water, I think. So I gave him some warm water. Victoria, he dunked the rag in the bowl of water. He pulled it up. He rang it out with his little monkey hands, just like we would do, over the bowl of water so it wouldn't drip anywhere. Rang it out over there, brought it in, finished cleaning the cage, and then shoved all his blankets out to me, like, give me some clean blankets in here. Shoved everything out. I gave him clean blankets. And he got everything all cleaned up and set up. And then he just laid down. He went, ah. It was... (laughs) the most beautiful thing to watch oh it's just giving
0: me chills and and it's interesting ray because i know that one of your areas of of focus is on individual beings versus whole species and that's what we've been talking about the last few minutes and those seem to be the the stories and the images that people hold dear why
3: do you think that's so important You know, I I think it's so powerful, and we can relate to it easily if we think about humans. You know, we don't want to be seen as just women, just Caucasian, just African American, just Jewish, whatever our groups are that we're part of. We don't want to be seen as just that group. We want to be seen as the individual who we are, and it makes all the difference. You know, I I know... um, a family who was very anti-gay. And it turned out they loved one of my dearest friends, and they loved her the best of all my friends. She's also a lesbian. And so I asked her permission. I said, you know, can I tell them that you're a lesbian? She said, I don't want to be there when you tell them. And when I told them, they thought I was joking, so they started laughing. And I said, you know, Wendy is a lesbian and they started laughing, laughing, and then they looked, they saw I wasn't laughing. They said, Why aren't you laughing? And I said, I'm not laughing because I was just telling you the truth. She told me I could tell you. And their faces just dropped and they said, It can't be that she's the lesbian and I said, Why not? They said, Because we love her. And I said, Yes, and she's a lesbian. And knowing that individual changed everything for them. They became very outspoken in their community about gay rights. And it was because they knew that individual. And I think that it's true in non-humans also. You know, once we get to know someone who is you know, part of our life, they're not just this unknown group, once we get to know them, it changes everything. We can't look at the group the same way. So... You know, I'll give you an example, because when we think of a whole group, we can pretty much not connect with them. (laughs) It's pretty easy to not connect with a whole group. So JC and I were, my partner JC and I were in the student massage clinic, and this woman comes flying in on Saturday morning. And she said, oh, God, I'm so glad I made it. I was at the farmer's market. We have a booth there. You know, oh, Wow, that was, oh, she said, it's so hard. We work so hard, and we're saving a heritage species of cattle. And I said, oh, you're saving them. That's so great. So you're not killing them. And she said, no, we're saving the species. I said, oh, the species, not the individuals. And she said, right, right, you know, they're a heritage breed. And I said, oh, I said, so do you raise them from babies? And she said, yes. I said, it must be very hard to kill them after you've raised them from babies. That would be really hard for me. Is it hard for you? And she said, well, we don't kill them. We send them up to Colorado, which from where we live in Santa Fe, it's 10 hours where they send them to be slaughtered. And I said, oh, are they still considered local? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I said, well, is that hard to take these babies who you've raised Put them on a truck and send them up there to be slaughtered. And then she said, Well, we would never send Herbie. I said, Who's Herbie? And she said, Well, he was a 4 H project. And we everybody loves Herbie. We love Herbie. Everybody who visits our farm loves Herbie. And I said, Oh, how is Herbie special? And she said, Well, he's Herbie. I said, Oh, I got that part. How is he special? And she said, well, oh, he's Herbie. And I said, oh, what makes him different from the others? How is he different from the others? And she got real quiet. She said, well, he's not really. Mm. I said, oh, so the others are special too. Let we think- need to stop. I'm so
0: sorry, Ray. No worries. But no. I love ending on the others are special too hmm. Grace Sakura you are special Chris Carr you are special all my listeners uh, Jeff Comfort our engineer at Unity <laughs> Online Radio and all the wonderful, wonderful non-human animals that make up the world God bless you eat your oh. veggies
3: <laughs> I love you Victoria love you too <laughs>
2: You know the saying, a good deed is its own reward? Well, moving toward a plant-based diet and vegan lifestyle is one kind and compassionate act that isn't just its own reward. It will also reward you with vibrant health, boundless energy, and easy way to keep your weight where you want it, And according to Yogi's and Unity's co-founder Charles Fillmore, even give a boost to your spiritual life. On Main Street Vegan, the radio program named for the popular book, Victoria Moran will make your move in a vegan direction easy, fun, affordable, and delicious. With enticing topics and entertaining guests, every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. teachers through the ages have spoken of the importance of our mind and of being master over our thoughts. How often do we forget that we are the ones who decide what thoughts we'll hold and what thoughts we'll reject? The world's great teachers also remind us that our thoughts create our experience. We may not be able to change what is happening in our world, but we can always choose how we will respond to the changing situations of our lives. With a positive attitude, your chance for success in any situation can be greater. That's because a positive attitude will inspire you to look for workable solutions rather than allowing negative thinking to limit your decision-making. This law of life is brought to you by Unity.
3: To find a Unity Church near you, visit www.unity.org.
0: There is peace.
3: There is quiet.
4: Reverend Paulette's mantra is... The Voice of an Awakening World.
3: Letting go in the stillness.
2: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul,